When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey guys, this is Mike Badano, and you're listening to Sarcastic Remarks. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Sarcastic Remarks. My name is Ryan Chambers. Here in a second, we're going to be joined by a special guest along with Chris and James, who don't really count. But please go and use that promo code THPN the next time you go and use the DraftKings Sportsbook app. They are our sponsor for this episode, this podcast, and all of THPN. Um, we want to go ahead and just invite everybody in. So, special guests we have tonight, and uh, we we talked about this right off the bat. So, Bruce, uh, we're going to go ahead and introduce you as this. He is the people's sexiest man alive, according to... Uh, five years running. Five, five years, years running. running. <laughs> yes. Chris and Evans Bruce, is weeping right now. Exactly. <laughs> Once I dethroned John Hamm, it was all downhill from there, so... It's very easy. <laughs> well, Bruce joins the show here tonight. Uh, Bruce, thank you for uh, you know taking a bit of your time out tonight. Uh, we we got a lot of questions for you, and uh, we really appreciate your time. And welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I love the open. Uh, very uh, very professionally made. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, the, now the spinning around the reunion tower got me a little bit off key. While we were do waiting, but otherwise, I'm very impressed so far. Well, That's how you. we want you anyway. We want you a little bit <laughs> off key. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it, it took me a while to get that to get that video going. It took me a good couple of weeks to get it to get it all solidified and ready to go. So, but uh, it, it's cool. I, I I love the skyline of Dallas. There's there's nothing that's even above it in my opinion. I love the city of Dallas. So, now, I um, got engaged in Reunion Tower. So, oh really? Nice. Yes. So was that uh when was that when did that happen? About 10 years ago somewhere around there. Wow, that's uh, pretty freaking cool. Yeah, it was back when they still had the uh they they had a Wolfgang Puck restaurant. I thought it would be romantic to go up there and get engaged circling Dallas and it worked. So there you go. Yeah. And you know Wife a lot of people already. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Chris could take some of your advice, actually, Bruce. He just recently got engaged to uh, his girlfriend of many years. So, Despite the Ron Swanson video. Despite, Despite the Ron video. Swanson. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Nice. Gotta love the uh, pyramid of greatness there in the background. So, Absolutely. All right, man. Um, uh, before we get uh, into today's episode, uh, we do want to send a shout-out to uh, Brian Ray and uh, just send him our condolences as a podcast and as Stars fans. Uh, for the loss of his father. So uh, sh- shout out to him. I guess that's not the right word to say. Maybe just condolences to uh, him and his family. And uh, we are praying for him and our thoughts are with him right now at uh, this hard time. So uh, we-, we look forward to seeing him back on uh, on the, uh, on the Fox Sports. Uh, I almost said Fox Sports. Valley Sports, Valley Sports. Southwest. And uh, we just wish him the best and uh, hope that he's doing okay. So... Um, but uh, let's go ahead and uh, just get into straight into some stars stuff because uh, I mean that's why you're here, Bruce. We got a lot of questions to ask you. So, uh, James, would you mind go ahead and just telling talking about the first question that we got for him? Yeah. Okay. So we we have quite a few questions to go through. So hopefully we can get to as many as we can. But uh, so over the over the years over the off seasons, right? We've been ta- um, we've been through with Jim Neal and how he had some big 
big moves when he first came here and he hasn't had them for a while. Right. So we were just like, uh, we were wondering like how, how critical he's been over the almost decade that he's been GM of the stars. Well, when you look at it, he's been GM of the Dallas stars. He just passed, or I think this year he's going to pass Bob Gainey as the longest tenured GM in Dallas stars history. He may have done that already, or I think it's coming up, but you look at what he's done. And when he got here and people forget the stars were just coming off the ownerless era where they basically had to squeak to the, get to the salary cap floor and could not get above it. That was the, you know, the, the league was running the team. The budget was what it was. I can remember the stars wanted to pick up Eric Nystrom on waivers. This is going back a bit, but back then, if you picked up somebody on waivers, you only had 50% of their salary count against the cap. Well, the stars couldn't do that because if you picked up 50% of the salary, it did not get you to the cap floor. So the stars had to wait for him to clear waivers, then trade for him. So they got the full amount of the salary, which got the stars just right, barely squeaking above the floor. Now, it's been, come a long way since then. Jim Nill has, when you think about the trades he's made, and you're talking about Tyler Sagan, Jason Spezza, Ben Bishop, Patrick Sharp, Stephen Johns, signing Alexander Radulov. I mean, here's a guy in the offseason that's done a pretty good job over the years. He, he really has. Uh, last couple of years, when you're up so close against the salary cap, you really can't go and make the big moves that, that you've made. But, you know, when they when they picked up Tyler Sagan, Sagan wasn't making $9 million a year. He was still an unproven commodity out of Boston. So I think Jim Nill has really put his stamp on the team. Uh, I think the hardest thing is you might be saying he's done a really good job. I think he's done a really good job. If the run to the Stanley Cup final had happened under normal circumstances – where the games were here and every other day people were loading up and going to the AAC, which was packed and sold out. And there were game watching parties. We'd have a whole different feel. And you say, you know, this has been pretty successful but because it happened the way it happened. It just doesn't feel like the stars actually made to the Stanley cup final. I think what Jim Neal has done this year for a very limited cost is added some young fast bodies. This team was getting older and slower for a number of years. They are now younger and faster, and he did it while out getting over the salary cap or having to put anyone in LTIR, which in the long run is going to help the Stars, especially if they have to make a move at trading deadline. I think Jim Mills this offseason, plus bringing in Pete DeBoer to bring in the right voice and the right style to play this new system that they want to play, this may have been his best offseason ever. And I think it's especially impressive that we, we- – we don't see as many big trades like the Sagan or the Spezza this upcoming offseason, but he's bringing in the young guys that he drafted and he developed, and he's put them through the entire star system that we have now. Like you said, when we were bottom of the of the cap floor, we didn't have that. You didn't have even just the hope of those young players coming up. Now he has those young players coming up, filling the role that Jamie and Tyler are no longer the top guys on our team anymore, but we're still a great team, even with them not being the number one and number two guys. So that's just a whole nother level of, how good of a GM he is. It's not just the big trades, not just getting right back into competition after being terrible for so long. He's developing a full, a full franchise, a full roster of players. Jim will be the first one to give credit to the scouting staff. Uh, Joe McDonnell mm-hmm. and his scouts have really gone out. And the last couple of years, they have absolutely crushed the NHL draft from the Dallas stores point of view. When it starts, you know, the stars had a period between, you know, 2013 to 2016 inclusive, they didn't do so well with first-round picks. You know, you look at it, you, you had uh, Val Nichuskin and Jason Dickinson, two guys who are still in the NHL but didn't develop into superstars for the Dallas Stars. Of course, Val's a whole different story as to what happened there. 2014, Julius Honka. 15 was Dennis Guriana for the first round. You're still hoping he comes through. Riley Tufty was 2016. So you're looking at four years where first-round picks, you go through that entire – four years of drafts and basically you've got Rope Hintz as a top line player to show for four years of drafting. Then you get to the draft of 2017 and you've got your best defenseman, arguably your best forward and your future goaltender there. Now, 2018, you bring in Ty DeLandry, who I think is going to be excellent this year. And for years to come, he's found himself after being sort of lost in the COVID 2019, Thomas Harley, Bork, 
still learning his way. They're both learning their way in Austin. And the 2021 draft might be as good as the 2017. When you look at Wyatt Johnston here already, any other team, Logan Stankoven probably gets a look, but you know, uh, it drives me. I'm going to derail here. It actually I drives. I, it. I, under, I understand why the NHL has the deal with the CHL that you can't keep players because the CHL is a business. They want to develop. But Logan Stankoven was the best junior hockey player in all of Canada last year. What can he possibly add by playing another year of juniors? I digress. So mm-hmm. you look at that and you go, well, Stankoven is going to be here next year. I have no doubt in my mind he's going to be oh, yeah. here next year. And then you got Grushnikov, who's playing up in the OHL. That's two, 2021 is going to be a monster draft when it's all said and done. So when you talk about having 2017 bookended by 2021, the scouts knock the cover off the ball. And that's what's going to put the Dallas Stars in contention. And not only that, keep them well under the salary cap when moves can still be made as long as those guys are on their entry-level contracts. Yep. Another good thing he's done is drafted or hired a lot of good coaches, especially this year. We're seeing that four good coaches that nil wanted on his team, at least at some point. And that kind of gets me into the next question of the offseason for the stars this year was it really felt different, in my opinion. I mean, we had the new coach coming in. We've had five to six years of really defensive minded teams. They were really focused on being locked down defensive defensively and taking what they get kind of in the offensive zone. And it feels like the players this season really seemed excited about getting to a more aggressive style of hockey. Did you notice anything this offseason that was different from other offseasons that the Stars have had? Well, the off season, this offseason really was about making the transition to the new generation. This was about Sagan and Ben, you know, is it, they've done I can remember, I'm sure you guys remember years where it was Sagan, Ben, and Radulov, and it wasn't for those guys, there was no offense. Now, except for 2019, when they traded for Matt Zuccarello, that all of a sudden they had a second line, which really got the Stars far into the playoffs and may have won them a Stanley Cup if Jamie Ben's wraparound goes another inch or two (laughs) past the goal line. But for all those years, the Stars had did not have a second line. They, They really, you look back at, you know, Ken Hitchcock's years and, and Jim Montgomery's first year, that you had those guys. So this was the transition from these guys have been our offense forever to it's time now to get the young blood going. And you knew that with the, we call them the Avengers line, with Pavelski, Pince, and Robertson, that these guys were the number one line going forward. But what really impressed me was that, Jim Nill went out, and Mason Marchman is fast. He can skate. He plays with a bit of an edge. That improves you. Ty Delandria is fast, plays with a whole lot of edge. That makes you faster. Uh, Wyatt Johnson, incredible patience with the puck. But for me, the real capper to this offseason was the – we knew that young players were going to come up and get a chance this year – was the training for Nils Lundqvist. That was the one that – caught everybody by surprise and may have been the the cherry on top or maybe may have been the entire cake. I don't know, depending on how it turns out. But you went from how do you replace John Klingberg? I mean, think about it. You went to training camp probably thinking that Thomas Harley was going to make this team and we were going to have two right-handed defensemen and seven and five left-handed ones. How's that going to work? Well, when he brings in Lundqvist and Lundqvist has played pretty well, that makes the defense faster. Colin Miller makes the defense faster. It's been an offseason where the focus really has been on getting younger and getting faster, not just trying to find the one veteran missing piece that's going to put the stars over the top. So it was a whole different philosophy of finding the right players to play in DeBoer's system. And Neil and DeBoer were very in lockstep about how they wanted this team to play going forward. And then Neil went out and, you know, I still, it's funny when the, when the Lundquist trade happened, I have some friends who are scouts on the East coast and, they're like, well, you know, this is he's incredibly talented, incredibly skilled, but we don't know if he can take the pounding of an NHL season. Lundquist, on the other hand, says, yeah, you know, last year was my first year in North America. I went from playing in 100 foot wide rinks in Sweden to all of a sudden, you know, um, I'm, in, you know I'm in Madison Square Garden. Next thing I look up and, you know, Tom Wilson is trying to run me over. Yeah, he needed an adjustment. <laughs> and he feels that he made that adjustment over the course of the season. And the stores believe he did too. So that's why he's here. And that may have been the the, the keyest move of the offseason. Sure. 
And I, I think what Jim Nill and, and I'm I'm purely speculating here. I obviously don't know what he's thinking, but I, I think he understood the importance of having two puck moving defensemen. Uh, when you, when you had Klingberg and hit Miro going at the same time, and uh, I mean obviously. Lundqvist is not going to be at the same level as John Klingberg. We're not going to ask him to do that. But I, I think it is important to that he saw that need on his team, especially, and he went out and got it. And, uh, you know, a lot of teams and a lot of uh, fans around the NHL were saying, oh, well, this they're overpaying for this guy. He, he's, he's not really going to do all that well. And so far, so good. I mean, considering we had a, in my opinion, it was a, it was a hole in the lineup. I felt like on that defensive side of the the lineup, and he took care of it without you know giving up any like current current players when he's trying to go for it now. So I, I, again, I think that's just a brilliant thing that Jim Nill did. Uh, when I talked to Jim Nill after the trade, and he basically said, you know, first of all, he knows his scouts and he trusts them implicitly. He trusts the guys in Europe who watched. Nils Lundqvist play for the past three years. He trusts the guys in Europe who watch Matei Blumel play for the past three years. I mean, he trusts these guys. And then Jim gets tape and he sits there and watches it. He he's you know he came from a scouting world, so he actually doesn't just take the reports. He looks and thinks about everything he does going forward. What's interesting is after the trade was made, you know, I asked him. I said, "Well, Jim, you know." What do you think? So there are some guys that's, you know, the stars have, the stars have never traded away a first round pick under Jim Nill's regime. It just didn't happen. And his answer was, would you trade a first round pick for Wyatt Johnson right now? Yeah. Would you trade a first round pick for Logan Stankoven right now? Yeah. Would you trade a first round pick for Ty Delandria right now? Probably. Well, you're getting somebody in Nils Lundqvist that's 22 that's ready to step up. So why spend a first-round pick next year for someone's going to take three or four years to develop when we've got a first-round pick that's ready to play top four defense right now? That's how he looked at it. So far, it's looked good. I mean, Lundqvist is going to – it's a long season. He's going to have some ups and downs. But just as fast as he skates and as good as he is in the offensive end, long-term, this might be an absolute steal for the Dallas Stars. Agree, one hundred percent. I'm really looking forward to see how uh, how he develops over the course of his career, and hopefully, it's a long time with the Dallas Stars because I really like the player. Um, uh, next question I wanted to ask you, Bruce, is just about the team in general, uh, because that and just about the team we've seen so far. Um, is this the team that we should expect to see for the rest of the season? Because right now they're sitting at second in the central division. And I'll be totally honest with you. I expected them to be a wild card playoff team coming into the season. I wasn't quite sure they were top two. Maybe they'd get the third spot, but I, I had them kind of solidified as a wild card playoff team. And they've kind of exceeded my expectations at this point. Um, do you think this team we're seeing, are they overperforming right now? Or do you think that this is something that we should expect to see for the rest of the season? Well, first of all, we're at mile two of a marathon here, so there's a long <laughs> way to go. I mean, right. And you look around the NHL. I mean, did anyone see St. Louis? St. Louis started three and zero, didn't they? Yeah. And now they've lost eight in a row. Who saw that coming? Uh, a few weeks ago, Lindy, they were, uh, they were ready to hang Lindy Ruff in effigy in Newark, which honestly, being in Newark, it probably would have been a good option. I hate Newark, but <laughs> all of a sudden, the Devils are the hottest team in the East. So you don't know. Seasons have ebbs and flows. I think the identity, the way the stars play, is what we're going to see for the rest of the year. But you don't know about injuries. You don't know what kind of holes the stars think they're going to need to fill. And for me, the biggest question is, offensively, you put Delandria with Sagan and Marchman, and that line was great. Well, then they moved Delandria with Johnston and Ben. And that line improves, but Sagan's line goes down. For me, the biggest question is, Denis Gurionov, is he going to be top six? Is he going to play like the guy that's a first-round pick that we saw in 2019-20 that had 20 goals and was a threat every time he was on the ice? Or are we going to see the Denis Gurionov we saw last year? And if Gurionov doesn't perform at the level needed for a top six, then the Stars have to start thinking about what they're going to do. Can, can Matei Blumel step in? 
and be that. If not, who can step in and be that role? Because Dallas, you know, Pete DeBoer talks about rolling four lines, but you notice the difference when Delandria was moved, how Sagan and Marchman, who were getting chance after chance, didn't play as well as a line when the move was made. Played a little bit better on this road trip. Dennis, after the healthy scratch, stepped up. But we've been saying this for years. You know, at what point in time do we see Dennis Gurionov become a first-round pick? I mean, if you think about it, you know, Rope Hintz got sent down. He came back up, and he's been on an upward trajectory, all-star, all-world, whatever, ever since. Jason Robertson went down to Austin, came back up. We've seen what we've seen from him. Tied to Landria to a certain extent, even though he his trajectory got screwed up because of COVID in the bubble, he went down to Austin, is now playing the way you expect him to play. When does Gurionov get to that point? And if not, then the stars have to start thinking about making some decisions. Yeah. In that vein, Blumel gets called up to everyone who's on the podcast, didn't see the news. Blumel's called up from Cedar Park. Uh, I think that was today. Memory sent back down, thinking Otter's ready to be healthy again. You got to think if Lumel's called up, he's going to get in the lineup. Is Garyanov coming out? Is he kind of running out of chances, do you think? I don't know if there's injury. The one thing we don't know is did somebody get nicked up? Now, you have to bring Blumel up because the Stars are about to go on a road trip, another three-game road trip. They play Friday at the AAC against San Jose, then Sunday afternoon in Philadelphia, and then Tampa and Florida. So you have to have – you need an extra forward. The Stars got very – Fortunate on this last road trip that with the salary cap issues because they had to bring Matt Murray up, they couldn't carry an extra forward, that no one got hurt, no one got the flu, you know, no one for <laughs> Michael Jordan had a poison pizza the night before a game or something like that. I mean, <laughs> the Stars got very lucky. They played 12 forwards for three straight games and no one got hurt. You don't expect that kind of luck to continue. So is Blue Mel up? To play, I think at some point in time in the next four games, Blue Mel will play and make his NHL debut. I don't think it's a given that someone's coming out of the lineup based on what happened in Winnipeg last night. I think that was just a bad game, but we'll see. There might be some people that are, are sort of hanging on by a thread right now. Gotcha. And kind of shifting gears a little bit more, uh, we've talked about, especially in the beginning, how the starts have kind of changed from the defensive mindset to that offensive mindset. For people who are just kind of watch the stars casual casually, what does that exactly what does that mean? I mean, how are they more offensive minded? What what makes them an offensive team versus a defensive team? Is there kind of a little short explanation you give for that? There's a real simple explanation. It's the way they handle the puck and what they do in the offensive zone. I'm going to dumb this down real fast. When the Dallas Stars played under Ken Hitchcock and Rick Bonus and quite a bit under Jim Montgomery, they played for the most part what was called a one four or one two two meaning that when the puck went in the offensive zone, one guy went in to chase the puck. The other two guys either hung back and waited for a turnover or a mistake, and then two guys were back, the defensemen were behind them. Or a 1-4, which is basically the puck goes in and four guys wait at the blue line and then decide whether they're going to attack. Does that make sense so far? What the Dallas Stars are doing now is they're getting the puck in. One, they're trying to hold on to the puck. And two, the first guy and the second man into the zone immediately attack, immediately go, whether it's a forward or a defenseman, they're going in and they're attacking, they're pressuring. They're trying to create turnovers and mistakes and get the puck in the zone and possess the puck in the zone. When the Stars get to the blue line, it's about keeping the puck. We saw a lot of times last year, well, what's the safe play? Well, I'm just going to dump it in and then we'll chase it. It's different now. It's about possessing, waiting for the the second wave to come in. It's a much different feel. It's a much different look where the stars are trying to hold on to the puck more, forecheck more, and spend more time in the offensive zone, relying on their forwards and the quickness of their defense to create opportunities and create more offense as compared to waiting and then trying to attack from there. That's awesome. That's perfect. And just off of that, uh, do you think there's any like one player who's benefited the most from a style change like that? Uh, you know, I don't think there's one player that's benefited. If you want to look at the reality of the situation, it's not so much the style change. It's Miro Haskinen now is the undisputed leader of the Stars defense. I think Miro, in a little, in, in some ways, deferred to John Klingberg a bit. Uh, John Klingberg was always on the number one power play. Uh, this is Miro's defense now. 
And he's a guy that if he has to play 28 minutes a night can do it. But you notice Miro's now jumping into the play more. He's running the first power play unit more. Not more. He's running the first power play unit. It's a different role for Miro in that he is the guy. There is no sharing of the offensive glory. Miro Haskin is going to be the guy that's going to be the man on the blue line. And I think he's accepted that role and he's played it quite well. You know, when he came back from the injury against the LA Kings, that game against the LA Kings, Dallas scored five goals that night. Miro was on the ice for all five. And if you look at up until I wrote this last Sunday on my Dallas Hockey Now column, up until the point when the time they got done with the Edmonton game, the Stars had scored 16 goals. I'm not sure. I don't know if it was in front of me. Miro was in the ice for 13 of them or somewhere around there. Stars gave up six goals. He was on the ice for two. So you're looking at a guy that not only is the system more fluent for him to jump into the play and use his fantastic speed and ability, but also they've told him, you know, Pete DeBoer said when he got here, Miro's great, but he has another level he can get to. They are giving him every opportunity and giving him every reason to explore that and get to that next level. So if you want to talk about somebody that's really going to thrive under the system, it's Miro because it's not defense first. Yes, it's defense, but if he has a chance to go, he's going to go. And he's been going and Norris trophy. People are starting to see that too. I think, especially when he's the one guy on the team, like you're saying, he's the man. So you know, it's very different too. It's very difficult because, you know, the Norris trophy is written is voted for by hockey writers. Now, there are some hockey like I think Dallas has one or two people that are considered professional hockey writers. You go into a city like Toronto or Montreal or or New York, they've got 10 or 15 people that are eligible to vote. So the problem is they don't see Miro except twice a year. And if Miro has a bad game or, or the stars are off that night, well, that's it. I mean, you think about it, Miro Haskinen wasn't even nominated for the Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year. I believe there were 35 people that didn't even have him on their ballot. Now, are you going to tell me there were three rookies better than Miro Haskin in his first year? But the problem is you're in the Southwest, and if you don't play great on the night that these writers see you, well, you're out of sight, out of mind. And that's one of the things where with the Norris, Miro's got to get uh, – it's in the NHL. You don't do the, I don't know if you guys were old enough to remember when the school college used to do big Heisman trophy pushes for, for their players. They used to do yep. posters and videos and send out presents to people who voted for the Heisman. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can do that in the NHL, but Miro Haskinen might need that just because of the fact that I don't know how many people that see him once or twice are going to be able to vote for him just because they just don't see him. Yeah. And that's always been a problem for your for our small market team, really. I mean, especially Ben Bishop when he was nominated for the for the Vesna. I mean, it, it was his. I mean, I was shocked when he didn't win it. So that's definitely been a problem for for Stars for a while. And, and you know, another player that jumped into my mind it was a couple of years ago was Jacob Chikrin of the Arizona Coyotes when he had his twenty plus goal season as a uh, as a defenseman. And he, I mean, he was the offense for that team, and he got overlooked just because of where he plays. He, play, he plays for Arizona in the middle of the desert, and he was fantastic that year. I, I honestly thought he should have gotten more uh, Norris votes than what he got, but he didn't. It's um, tough when no one sees you. It just it's, yep. it, yeah. it's, it's, it's sort of like being the uh, college football team that plays all their games at 1030 on Saturday nights. You know, if no one sees you, they're not going to be able to form an opinion, and Miro should. He's been an all-star. I mean, they know who he mm -hmm. is, but he's really – you know, you take a look at the he didn't the Rangers game didn't go well. Now, are any of those New York writers going to remember Miro as being this incredible talent? Probably you know, not. Toronto, same thing. You've got two chances to impress big markets. Now, we all know how great he is, and the people in the Central and the West know. But how many votes does each market get? That's why it's a bit skewed. So. I want to jump into uh, players a little bit here. Um, and cause I mean, there's so many different uh, storylines and we kind of talked about uh, Mira Haskinen, but I also want to talk about uh, Ryan Suter a little bit because, and specifically because uh, I, I got a little bit of heat for it, but you got a lot of heat for it because uh, you mentioned your Dallas hockey now article 
And th th I don't know what it is with, uh, maybe it's just a vocal group of people that really just don't like Ryan Suter. And it, I mean, there's always that guy, and you kind of mentioned it in your article, that kind of gets picked on a little bit. You know, it, I think it was, you, you mentioned Goligoski back in the day. You know, why is he uh, on the Stars? He, he was basically a top pairing defenseman for the Stars for a while. Um, and w what I wanted to ask you are just like, what are some of the reasons why you've been defending him so staunchly? Because in that article, you made a really valid, good point and a good argument as to why he's worth the money right now. Well, it's not so much me. I mean, I have my opinions, but I also talk to people. And surprisingly or unsurprisingly enough, I talked to Alain Nasruddin, the Stars defense coach, right around that time. And I asked him, you know, you know, Suter's playing, you know, Miro was asked, Suter's playing 28 minutes a night at this point, 20, he's playing 24, 26, 28. You know, why is he playing so much? And Nazardine said, because he's the best guy we have to do it. And, you know, he goes, it's veteran presence. He knows how to play defensively and he doesn't get tired. He doesn't wear out. Look, Ryan Suter today is not what he was 10 years ago. I get that. But for three, but last year when Miro hastened and went down, Who's the guy's minutes picked up? Ryan Suter. So you've got two very different coaching staffs, both faced with the same dilemma, and yet it's Ryan Suter that gets the extra time that they trust to be out there on the penalty kill and pick up the slack with Miro being gone, and in this case, even running the power play. So if two different coaches and staffs are looking at this guy and seeing the same thing, maybe it's not everybody else. Look, Ryan Suter is not as fast or as dangerous as he was 10 years ago. We get that. He's also not getting paid what he got paid 10 years ago. He's making $3.6 million. Now, for $3.6 million, you've got a top four defenseman who's on your second line power play unit, on your second line penalty kill unit, and is playing 22 minutes a night. What's there to complain about? I mean, you, you can you can look at drop all the analytics you want, and I'm not anti-analytic. But if enough people are saying this guy's doing good enough stuff for me, let me throw at you this question, throw it back at throw it back at you. If Ryan Suter wasn't capable and the coaching staff didn't like what he was doing both times with bonus and with DeBoer, why didn't Essel Lindell pick up those minutes? Why didn't Yanni Hockenpah go up to 28 minutes? Why is that? Well, watch a game sometime, and there are plays that Suter makes, putting his stick in the passing lane at the right time, closing gaps at the right time, uh, you know, taking the man out of the corner at the right time to prevent scoring opportunities. Look, he's not going to win a Norse, but for $3.6 million, you're getting a pretty good defenseman here. And if the stars had, look, it's, it's, this is a business. If the stars had somebody that could eat up those minutes and play top four and was better than him, he'd be playing right now, but he's not. So that should tell you something about that. One more thing about analytics. I'm just going to throw this out here. I don't want to get the analytics crowd on me, but there's two things. One, <laughs> too late. <laughs> too late. One thing is I talked to the Dallas stars analytics guru. And he said, the thing about analytics are you can take them and twist them any way you want. You can make Connor McDavid off a 10 game sample, look like a fourth liner. If you want to put the, you know, to doctor whichever way you want. Analytics are great, but you've got to also see the game. Here's an example for you. Remember uh, the Stars played in Boston a few weeks ago? Do you remember the goal that David Posternick scored on the power play? One-timer, yeah. top of the left circle. Yep. He's got like a three-inch window and nails it. Beats Ottinger. Okay. Do you know that is considered a bad goal? <laughs> because Well, listen, because he is outside of the circle – He's on top of the circle and to the angle, to the outside. It's not a quality chance. It's to mm. the outside. It's, but that's what I'm saying. Analytics said yeah. that is not a quality chance. Now the eye test tells you, but that's David Posternak. That's an incredible shot, an incredible goal. Of course, it's a quality chance. You've got to take in the factor as to who's doing what when you have the analytics going on. So you can tell me all the things about Ryan Suter is awful in, in offensive zone entries. Okay, Julius Honka was great with offensive zone entries. Julius Honka served up more pizzas than Domino's sometimes. <laughs> so you can't just take one stat and go, this is why he stinks. 
This is why he's awful because he's not good in offensive zone entries. You know, the way the stars looked at it, and I, I brought this up with them is, you know, exit defensive zone exits, he's not bad. But you play him with a Miro Haskin or a Nils Lundqvist, his job isn't to do the exit zones, the, the, the things. They said the one problem that he has is defensive zone recoveries, going to get the puck in the defensive zone. And that's a, a no one's going to argue that. That is a byproduct of being older and slower than he used to be. Everyone knows that might be something that is not great. But you pair him with somebody fast enough, then the hope is, whether it's Miro or Nils or, or somebody like that, the hope is, well, the, the young fast guy is going to get the puck and he's going to go and do what he has to do defensively. For $3.6 million, you could do a whole lot worse on the blue line. And yes, there are people that say, well, Ryan Suter's off. Well, if Ryan Suter is so awful, why isn't Joel Hanley playing and Suter's up in the press box? And please don't tell me it's because he's making so much money they can't afford to bench him. You know, it's, it, he's making less than Dennis Gurionov and they benched Gurionov a few times. He's making yeah. about the same as Gurionov and they benched Gurionov. Yeah. If, if Suter was so bad, why isn't Thomas Harley or Will Butcher up here playing mm -hmm. for it? I mean, that's the whole thing is that when you look at it, you can't compare somebody today to what they were 10 years ago. What's his role on the team? What's he supposed to do? And does he do it? Well, yeah. at the moment, you know, you've got two sets of coaches and front office people that look at him and go, he's doing what we want him to do. Now, if people want to hate him on the internet, so be it. But until <laughs> the time that somebody replaces him, he's done a pretty good job. What I'm saying is one, you know, you can put, put the video next time the stars play Friday night, watch Ryan Suter in the defensive zone, watch him in the neutral zone and tell me that he doesn't make smart hockey plays. And yes, he may get beaten speed wise, but for the most part, is he in position? Is he making the right play? Does he make his partner better? And if you think the answer is no, well, then you should be coaching the stars. <laughs> Amen. And Preach. I think the biggest place where people get hung up on that is that you see it's Ryan Suter. Oh, this guy's been great in the NHL forever. He got one of the biggest contracts in the modern era. But like you said, that's not what he's paid to do anymore. His role has changed. He's going to be a solid lockdown guy in the, our own defensive zone. Hey guys, it's Ryan here. NFL Sundays are only getting better, and so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, and point totals. One of the ads I'm looking at is the Cowboys-Packers game. The over-under total right now is set at 44.5 points between both teams. I personally would take the over on those odds. I think there will be much more points in that game. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is my go-to when betting on the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, and place a $5 pregame Moneyline bet to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And uh, another, a couple of other guys on the Stars whose roles has really changed is Jamie and Tyler. I mean, we talked about in the beginning of the show, they were the offense for a while. And they're now the depth scoring, really. I mean, Tyler's on that second line. Jamie's all the way down on the third line, if you want to call it a third line. It's been scoring about as good as most teams' second line recently. But that was really the biggest question mark to me in the offseason was, can Jamie and Tyler get back to producing offensively? So just how good have they been so far this year? And how important are they to the long-term success of this team this year? Well, that's a loaded question in that offensively, Tyler Sagan is more important than Jamie Benn. That's mm -hmm. Tyler Sagan's playing second line. And I mentioned this again. I wrote an article, which only half the people got mad at me for, as compared to the Ryan Suter article, that said, you know, lay off Tyler Sagan for his contract. You know, he got hurt and badly hurt. Was Ben Bishop's contract a bad contract because Ben Bishop hurt his knee and couldn't play again? I wouldn't think so. 
You know, it's, 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 it's part of the territory. People get hurt. What I said was, and I still back this up, is that Tyler Sagan is not the Tyler Sagan that is going to stretch the defense anymore. When he first got here, he was on the ice. You knew he could get the puck and just blow around defensemen if he was at full speed. There were some times in the second period, and you guys, I know you guys remember this, the second period of games where Ben Bishop would go get the puck behind the net and Sagan would come off and just do a post pattern and Bishop, with, you know, and they couldn't keep up with him. He'd go. But Sagan's 31 or going to be 31, and he's not as fast as he used to be, but he knows how to get to the areas to score. You put him out there with a Marchment and a Delandria, and those guys create the gaps. Sagan knows where to hit the gaps to put himself in position to get shots off and create quality opportunities. So we're not going to see Tyler Sagan get 15 breakaways, you know, in a month. Those days are over. But can Tyler Sagan go to the front of the net, put himself in position to score? I think the answer is yes. Just sort of like it's a similar to what Joe Pavelski does. Now, let's face it. Pavelski is there with, with Hintz and Robertson who create all sorts of, of openings in the defense with their skill. But Pavelski knows where to go to score goals. There's no question. Tyler Sagan knows where to go to score goals. He may not be as adept in front of the net as Pavelski. Very few are. But I think if you watch video of, of when the stores forecheck where Sagan goes, he puts himself in position to score goals. So I think he's going to be more important. I also think that Tyler Sagan this year is going to wind up between 25 and 30 goals, which I think will be just fine for the Dallas stars. Jamie Ben, he's very hot right now. I don't think this pace keeps up. Uh, I just don't see the stars power play being as this, this fantastic, the entire year, you know, the ebbs and flows, but Jamie Ben's value to the team is what he brings on the bench in the locker room, etc. cetera. Uh, Jamie Ben, is doing quite well to begin this year. Maybe it keeps up. Maybe he gets 20 goals. You get 20 goals out of Jamie Ben. That's a hell of a year. You guys remember Brendan Morrill, don't you? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. You remember Mike Madano? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Okay. Mike Madano. <laughs> Mike Madano played 1,499 games. Brendan Morrill didn't get to a thousand because of the style they played. So when you look at Sagan, you look at Ben. Sagan's more of the Madano guy. He's not going to go in the corners every single time or look for the reversal on the check or, or play hundred percent physical every shift out. That's not his game. Jamie Ben does that. And Jamie Ben is older. There's a lot of wear on the tires from the gateway he's played, but his leadership, you talk to the guys in the locker room and they swear by Jamie Ben. They really do. So if you can get 15 to 20 out of Jamie Ben and just be the physical leader, like you said earlier, uh, the torch is sort of passed to, to Robertson and Hintz and, Haskin and that group, these guys just have to fill their roles and you can't compare what they were to what they are now, but what they are now can still be very useful hockey players. And for the people that complain about the contracts, think about it. When Jamie Benn signed his contract, he was coming off an Art Ross trophy season the year before. He's still the Dallas Stars leading goal scorer during the Jim Nill era. Were you not going to sign Jamie Benn or Tyler Sagan? At that point, if you don't, this team would have been the laughing stock of this town. So when you come back, when I, I love all of you, all oh, Tyler Sagan's the worst contract in hockey. No, the only thing worse than Tyler Sagan's that. contract would have been not signing Tyler Sagan at that point. Because think about all those years you had send Ben Sagan and Radulov as your only offense. Remove one or two of those guys, and you're talking about the Dallas Stars being the Arizona Coyotes. Yep. Well, uh, James, do you want to ask your question? You had a specific yeah, question there was, you wanted to ask. There was one more thing. I wanted to talk about the goaltending just recently with Otter being out and Wedgwood coming in and how good he's done. And and just wanted to talk about uh, how good he's been. And also with Otter hopefully coming back in the next game, if he can continue what looks like Vesna uh, caliber from the first couple of games that he's played. Whenever goalies get hurt and it's lower body, you hold your breath and hope it's not something that's going to be a nagging injury for a long period of time. I mean, the way these guys play the butterfly, going down, getting up, I mean, and, and Otter is so athletic. You don't – I don't want to say Ben Bishop because that's – you know, but look at the wear and tear that it took on Bishop's body over the years. Ottinger's much younger. It's a much different story. But you always worry a little bit when you say goalie and lower body. You know, upper body, okay, it's going to heal. It doesn't – it doesn't affect the style you play or how you play. So hopefully Ottinger, it was just a, a little hiccup. 
He's better. He'll be out there. Uh, Scott Wedgwood has been sort of a revelation. Uh, last year at this time, you remember last year at this time, the Stars' goaltending tandem was Anton Hadobin, Braden Holtby, and Ottinger was in was in the AHL learning how to be an NHL goaltender. Well, Ottinger saved the season for the Stars last year. I mean, he really did. 30 wins. This team would not have made the playoffs without Jake Ottinger. And when Scott Wedgwood came in, he saved the Stars' playoffs. He really did. Ottinger started to wear down a bit last year. And Wedgwood, I mean, the, the game in Carolina, I think it was 46 shots against, and the Stars won that game. I mean, he, he stole a couple of points in Carolina. He stole, you know, points here. Uh, I believe it was against Toronto. We got to overtime against Toronto and had no business being there. Well, when you're a team that's on the razor's edge of not making the playoffs, every point you steal is crucial. And Wedgwood stole quite a few. Uh, he has got a great attitude. The guys love him. I think the Stars, tandem-wise, are very good. All that being said, goaltending is like being a quarterback in the NHL, NFL. Every team is one injury away from being in deep trouble. And as much as I like Scott Wedgwood, if Jake Ottinger was to get hurt for a long period of time, the Stars would be in trouble. So, you know, Ottinger... What he did last year and then in the playoffs showed he was ready to take the mantle. You just want him to stay healthy and keep taking that mantle and running with it or skating with it as far as he can. But, uh, you know, there's a reason, you know, the Stars have only traded up in the first round once in their history. Only once have they ever gave away assets to move up in the first round to take a player. The year was 2017. The player was Jake Ottinger. That shows how much they think of him and how much he's been and going to be to this team. And uh, I mean, I mean, like you said, the, I mean, imagine if we didn't have Jake Ottinger right now. Uh, our, our goaltending tandem would probably be another free agent signing somewhere that we didn't develop, or uh, I don't know, maybe uh, Hudobin. Which uh, I mean, no offense to Dobby, we love him to death for what he did in the 2020 bubble run, but he's 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 coming off a, a major injury himself, so just to think about the fact that if we didn't trade up in that first round and go and get Jay Cottinger, like we did, I, I think it, I, I think we're very lucky. And again, it's back full circle. Yeah, it goes back to full circle, back well, to Jim Nell and his scouting department. So the, the stars were worried that St. I believe it was St. Louis was going to take him. And that's why they traded up. They had heard wins at, the, at another central division team. I think it was St. Louis was going to move up, was going to take him if he fell to them. So the stores, you know, they had the huddle and said, is this guy worth giving away a third round pick? And the answer was yes. And the rest is history. That's the only, it's hard to believe though, in the entire history of the Dallas stars, that's the only time that's ever happened. It is. And it's hard to believe that it was nil too. Cause everyone says he's so conservative all the time as a GM. So He's, he's the only guy who's done that, and then he's traded a first-round pick this year. So He's smart with his moves. He's smart well, with his moves. Yeah, That's I mean, the way it's I one, like to look at it. Yeah, it's one thing to uh, invest in Apple. It's another thing to invest in Bitcoin. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, Jim Mill saves his money for the blue chippers. That's for sure. All right. Uh, well, we're, we're getting kind of down to the end of this, and I thought this would be kind of fun. Um, it is our Wednesday night episode, so we're going to continue doing a Who Cares uh, segment. And Bruce, I don't know if you – if it, did you get my uh, my message about what we were planning on doing? I did. I'm not I'm – not, I'm, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do this podcast, and then I'm, my wife and I, she took me down the rabbit hole of Love is Blind, and I got to see who gets ditched oh. at the altar tonight. Oh. I, don't, I avoided I don't that. <laughs> no, I, I've avoided it. You know, it's funny. I was looking at Twitter and like the only thing that's trending are, are names of people on the show. Mm -hmm. So yes. I, I'm, I'm staying away from social media. I never should have gone down the rabbit hole, but I thought, well, it's in Dallas. Maybe I'll see some things I've, I've seen before and <laughs> maybe some people I know are in there. My God, what a train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> well, in like, honor. How do, uh, how, how do you go to work? How do you go to work the next day? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't even think these two know what this show is about, Bruce. I mean, this show is crazy. I've only oh, seen clips, and I'm a, I have secondhand embarrassment every time I see it. Oh yeah, it's just. <laughs> but I have personally never seen it. 
I have personally never seen it, but I, I've I've heard stories about it. I've never seen clips of it, but again, never seen it. But um, okay, where watch it and find and see the pain everyone else is going through. Oh, yeah, exactly. I'm trying to avoid that pain, I guess. Fair um, enough. uh, so in honor of uh Black Panther two coming out. Wakanda Forever. Uh, it comes out this Friday. What we're going to do for our Who Cares segment for today is top three Marvel characters. So we purposely did this because Chris and James and I were talking and we were, and I was like, you know, there's some villains that, you know, I might like to pick that I think are pretty cool. And we didn't want to just leave it to superheroes like everybody else does. So top three Marvel characters for our Who Cares segment for the evening. Do you, Do we just want to go like... Everybody does their third one, or do we just all go? We'll do it one? like we'll do it like normal. All okay. right. So we'll start with you, Ryan. What's your what's your number three Marvel character? Go ahead. My number three Marvel character has got to be Thor. Uh, all of, uh, all that's of the. I know that's a fine pick. It, it's 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 a safe pick, right? Safe um, pick. the the only thing I I didn't quite like about some of the Thor movies is they get kind of too comical if that makes sense and i know y'all make fun of me just for it the, all the time chris and the most recent one yeah especially the most non-canon yeah <laughs> um but like like ragnarok for example it was hilarious and his basically his home world got blown up right so i was like uh okay but uh you know chris is fantastic uh as an actor he, he does you. a great job with thor and he's one of my favorite characters but i've got two more that i'm saving up that are really good all right, James, number three. Uh, my number three, I'm going to go with Ultron. I oh, yeah. I honestly, Ooh, I loved point. that movie and just the, the character development of a artificial AI becoming a robot, seeing how bad humans are and wanting to destroy them is amazing. And he's hilarious. <laughs> Ultron that, is so funny. That That is like, that's that's the best, in my opinion, that's, that's my favorite villain. And the symbolism too in Ultron. Mm, there's some creepy stuff. All right, we'll go with Bruce. Number three, Bruce. See, see, I have a problem because I'm more of a DC guy oh. than Marvel. <laughs> you can go uh, DC if you want to. Well, well, okay, but see, we're all different generations here. So oh, that's true. That's if, if my number three is Wonder Woman, who I know is not Marvel, are we talking Linda Carter? Are we talking Gal Gadot? That's up to you. See, see the thing is, I thought the last Wonder Woman movie was awful. Absolutely. 100% agree. 100% I mean, agree. I mean, your, your superpower is nagging now? Come on, you're Wonder Woman. Stop that. But, but, you know, growing up in the 70s, you know, Linda Carter on the TV every Friday night or whenever it was, was not bad. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm looking at two different people playing the role, but nonetheless... The whole Wonder Woman thing, number number three. Wonder Woman number three. All right. My number three is going to be kind of the antithesis to the Starcastic Remarks podcast, and it's Drax the Destroyer. <laughs> Sarcasm goes right over yes. his head, and it's great every time. It's perfect. <sighs> so, Drax. All right. Number two, Ryan. Gotta love Dave Batista. Gotta love him. He, he's fantastic. I love him to death. That's a good pick, Chris. And that's you, your sir. number three. I, I don't know as well. I don't know what your number one or two are. Um, if I gotta go with a number two, I love Rocket. Rocket is one of my favorite characters of the entire uh, MCU. Uh, he's just sarcastic all the time. Uh, he's always got some of the funniest lines at the most random times, and he, he's just a beast. Like, like he's he's a freaking raccoon. He's an raccoon. animal. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to, I mean, he's in, he's a raccoon and he's sitting there saving the, the galaxy and saving the universe. So he, he's my number two. And Bradley Cooper is fantastic as the voice as, uh, as rocket. So yeah. All right. Number two, James. Uh, my number two is Dr. Strange. So, um, it, 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 I have kind of a weird story about this, but, uh, my best friend would actually watch this movie on repeat for months literally just in the background i don't know but he he just he he eventually he started quoting the movie 
so I, I he would just randomly say something. I don't go look in the movie where it came from to understand what he's talking about. But I don't know. I just I love the sorcery and being able to do anything. It's just so cool, in my opinion. I feel like that would make me like it less. I, well, I didn't have to watch it, <laughs> but I, I still think that that it it's just I think the CGI in it really is what draws me the most because just all the stuff that you have to generate, like the 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 scene where like the whole the whole city's like falling apart and you're jumping from like building to building is just like it's so cool. cool. It is so cool. I agree. James is a graphics and a cinema guy, so that makes sense. All right, Bruce, <laughs> number two. Well, Ryan stole mine. Hi, <laughs> yeah. I, I like the anti-hero with great lines. So I, I guess my choices are now Groot or uh, Star-Lord from the movie. Uh, Groot's vocabulary is sort of limited, so I guess we'll go with uh, with the uh, with Star-Lord, the, uh, the guy who doesn't realize he's a superhero. Yet he is. <laughs> Love Star Lord. Those movies yeah. in general are just great. All right. My Aren't they coming two, out with like a three? They are. They are. Soon. I'm really excited about years, it. I think so. My number three, honestly, the rest of my list is so basic. It's Spider Man. If I had a man <laughs> crush on anybody, it would be Tom Holland. I think he is the best. <laughs> I love Tom Holland more than anything. Um, I. I think that this Spider-Man did a really good job of combining the two previous Spider-Men. So he's not too serious. He's not too kiddish. It's kind of a good combination of it for me. I love the new Spider-Man. I thought it was great. I hated the way the last one ended. Whatever. Ryan, number one. My number one is the guy that has the absolute best lines in all of the Avengers movies. And it's got to be Hulk. It Hulk, it, it, he has the greatest lines of all time. And I'm not talking Dr. Banner. It has to be Hulk. And from the very first Avengers, when he has the scene where he's sitting there and tossing Loki like a rag doll, and he says, puny God, that it completely took everybody off guard in the theater when I watched it the first time and just bursting out laughing. And honestly there hasn't been another scene like that as funny as that was because you know loki's going into this epic monologue about how i am a god you will not treat me and then it gets cut off because he's sitting there flailing him around like a ragdoll <laughs> at the top of uh St tony stark's tower avengers tower so that's my number one hulk fantastic all right james number number one my number one is captain america i mean it, it's i was wondering yeah, I mean, it, it has to be. This is the first, uh, it's the first Marvel movie I ever watched. And I watched it when I was like 13, 14, like eighth grade, I think. But it was just, it was, it was, it is so nostalgic to me to, to go back and watch that. I think, it, I think I watched the one with Red Skull in it. So I don't, I don't remember if that's the first one or not, but I just, I love that movie so much. It's just, the, the way that it all comes about, how he's just like, he's, he's a short little dude and gets injected with steroids. And he, <laughs> like, like, come on. And and honestly, James Ardell agrees with you as well. He's he's right there with you 100%. So. All right, Bruce, number one. I don't want to ruin the theme going with Batman because I don't want to mix genres any more than I have already. Although <laughs> I would have gone with Batman had this been a crossover honorary but the, funny, the 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 funny story is uh they asked stan lee to create a superhero that no one would like and his answer to that was iron man the the tony stark oh. just a <laughs> jerk just a jerk of a human being that no one liked and they said you can't create a character that's superhero that people don't like and he said well watch me and he created iron man i think robert downey jr's who at the time was an actor that nobody liked. Everyone thought he was a jerk. Might still be. I don't know. But when you go from the evolution of how Iron Man became Iron Man to his arc, to the way he ended his character, it's very interesting to me to see that here's a character that was supposed to be made because no one would like him. And in the end, he winds up doing something that everyone loves him for. So I'm going with Iron Man. Bruce, you stole mine. Mine was Iron Man. When I think uh, of Marvel, 
I think of Iron Man. It he, has to be his, it. Yeah. His arc, that is the Marvel story. Is Iron Man growing from what he was to what he did in the end. So Iron Man is definitely it. Hey, spoiler alert, Chris. Come on. I didn't man. spoil anything. I was just say a nice <laughs> arc. Y'all should watch it. Like if if you haven't seen it at this point, you're like five years too late, okay? Or however many yeah. years it's been. Well, so. you're like forty movies. <laughs> no right, yeah, no watch that. That joke. So okay, well, hey Bruce, thanks for doing this, man. We had a lot of fun. Anytime. So much, yeah, we awesome. really appreciate you uh you coming on and uh you know I guess letting us talk t- to you to death about uh Dallas Stars hockey. We love this team so much. And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing many more years uh, with you calling the radio broadcasts. Yeah, I'll be listening on well, Friday. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys, you know, because everyone talks about the passion. The fan, I think hockey fans have more passion because this is not an easy sport to understand. It's not an easy sport to – it's not like football where everywhere you look, it's everywhere. You've really got to make an effort to be a hockey fan. Once you get hooked – you're willing to do anything for it. So I appreciate your guys' passion and the fact that you're doing this podcast about the sport you love and getting the team's name out there. Thank you guys. And thank you for having me on. Well, that make, that makes me feel really great that you said that. Mm-hmm. Like, really makes me feel good. Yeah. So I, I appreciate you so much for saying that, man. Um, well, I, I guess we're going to close it up here tonight. Um, so the, thanks once again to DraftKings Sportsbook for being our sponsor. Go and use that promo code THPN next time you go and use their app. Thank you for being uh, the pod, the sponsor for our episode, all of our podcasts, and all of THPN, along with Chris and James and Bruce. My name is Ryan, and we will t- we will catch you guys on the flip side. We hope you all have a good, fantastic morning, evening, whenever you guys are listening, and we'll see you on Friday. See you guys later.